Pac-12 has a scandal, a fiasco, what do we call it? But the Pac-12 has a mess on its hands. John Wilner and I kick that around. Plus, we talk a little about the troubling trend in sports broadcasting. All of that on a brand new episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Canzano. Uh, as always, you can read me at johnconzano.com. That's where I'm writing now exclusively. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Uh, visit johnconzano.com if you want to know what I'm writing and what I'm thinking. I'm here with the great John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group, as we are on every episode. You can find him at pac12hotline.com. Uh, the Bay Area News mothership. Wilner does a fantastic job, obviously, reporting, and he's been all over the latest is it a scandal? Is it a fiasco? Is it network gate? What is that? Wilner, what are we calling this Pac-12 network $50 million headache? Yeah, I, I actually thought about that. Is it overpay gate or network gate? Does it rise to scandal level? Is it just a mess that requires a cleanup on aisle five? Um, you know, fiasco? I don't. I don't know. It's a. This is a tough one. It's not obvious to me that it should be a scandal, but uh, you may think differently. I, 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 you know, I want to know more. And and I, the person I want to talk with, and we should have on this podcast. And oh, we've asked for him, is the former commissioner, uh, Larry Scott, because to me, it's it's a failure. It's a debacle. It's a fiasco. It's a farce. It's messy. Uh, I like your cleanup on aisle five. Uh, but it could rise to being a scandal if, you know, depending on what Larry Scott knew and when he knew it. it and that's an important part yep. of this. And for people who are not familiar with this, um, Cliff Notes version, John Wilner, how do you describe, your, you know, you're sitting at a bus stop and somebody says, what's this $50 million deal for the Pac-12 conference? How do you characterize it? Well, you said that I, I, I flashed to that Forrest Gump scene with the box of chocolates and the Pac-12 <laughs> is kind of like a box of chocolates, right? <laughs> you, you never know when USC and UCLA are going to leave, or maybe there's going to be a $50 million Pac-12 network uh, accounting problem. Yeah. Uh, so basically what happened is Comcast overpaid the Pac-12 networks for what I think seems to be about $5 million a year for 10 years. It's been going on. Comcast discovered it sometime last spring, uh, summer or fall. And the Pac-12 knew about it uh, at some level in the 2017 when they did an audit of Comcast payments. And, and the audit came back and said, Comcast is overpaying you. And the folks in charge, uh, some of them at least, got that audit back and didn't believe that the audit was correct and they thought that it was wrong and Comcast was actually underpaying the PAC 12, but they didn't do anything about it. And the overpayments continued for another five years or so. And so here we are Comcast claiming that it has overpaid by 50 million. And my understanding is basically instead of demanding money back, they're just not going to pay the PAC 12, $50 million in the next year or two uh, as part of the distributions. At one point though, that we should make, because there was a little confusion on Twitter, social media. ESPN and Fox are not involved in this in any way, shape, or form. They are not distribution partners of the Pac-12 networks. It has 
should have very little impact on that slice of of the Pac-12's media rights negotiations. Now, we should get into the impact it could have with Pac-12 network valuation and all that kind of thing. But ESPN and Fox were not involved. Uh, this is strictly a Comcast Pac-12 networks issue. So that's the the Cliff Notes version. There's a lot we still don't know about. And like you mentioned, the, the biggest question is, what did the former commissioner know? What And when did he know it, if he knew anything? And uh, I have yet to find in, in my reporting uh, evidence. There may be evidence out there. I have yet to find evidence uh, hard evidence that he was told about it, but we should discuss that aspect of it. Yeah, Chief Financial Officer Brett Willman, Pac-12 Networks President Mark Shukin, both terminated by the conference last week. Um, you know, I I immediately go to, uh, you know, of course, the Pac-12 CEO group was not informed of this. The CFO has, a, has an obligation there. The Networks President has an obligation, even though it predated Shukin. Um, you know, they had no reason, though, to keep of an overpayment to themselves. This doesn't make sense to me. Like, neither one of those guys is going to directly benefit from keeping this a secret. And so, as I called around, and maybe you can speak to this as well, Wilner, everybody I talked to believed that it was more probable than not that those two informed Larry Scott and the Pac-12's general counsel, Woody Dixon, uh, that they told their bosses, hey, we have a shortage here. We thought they were going to owe us money. We actually owe them money. And everybody I talked to says that's how it would have worked. That's common sense would tell you that these guys who have nothing to gain by keeping it to themselves would share it with their boss. Now, we don't know because we don't have the investigation. We don't know what Larry Scott told the investigation uh, investigators who, who poked around on this. But are these guys scapegoats? Do you hold Wilman and Shukin at all responsible if they did pass it on to Lott? Do they end up looking like patsies here? Let's start with them, Wilner. Well, first, the at the time, the audit came back, and the audit was commissioned in the spring of 2017. It came back uh, December of 2017. At that time, Brent Wilman was basically the CFO for the Pac-12 Networks. So he reported to Shukin, president of Pac-12 Networks, who had only been on the job for three months. Shukin's direct report is Larry Scott, right? At the same time, Woody Dixon is not only the chief legal officer, he is senior vice president for business. He, uh, you know, my understanding is Woody was pretty much had his hands in everything that involved the conference and the networks at a high level. I cannot imagine a scenario in which he, Larry Scott knew and Woody Dixon did not. Um, so are they scapegoats? You know, I I think in some regards they are, right? If, if let's say the situation is, that audit comes back. Wilman gets the audit. He says, well, this doesn't seem right. He goes to Shukin. The president of the network says, look, we commissioned this audit six, nine months ago. But man, we thought Comcast was underpaying them, underpaying us. Instead, the audit says they're overpaying us. Shukin's like, wow, OK, well, I've only been here for three, three months, but this is a significant amount of money. I'm going to go to my boss, Larry Scott, not only his boss, Larry Scott is also the chief executive officer of the Pac-12 Networks, and his salary, as I'm sure some listeners know, Larry Scott's salary, his huge salary, was based in part on the fact that he was the chief executive officer of the Pac-12 Networks, not just 
the commissioner of the conference. Yeah. We're, so yeah, we're not just a conference. Sense. We're a media company for crying out loud. Right. Right. It makes perfect sense. Shukin then, you know, I don't know how, but let's envision, imagine he, he gets this, he walks down the hall to Scott's office. He said, well, hey, we got this audit back. It says Comcast is overpaying us. We owe them money. So that's where it kind of, I get to. And then I would imagine he tells Larry Scott that. What does Scott do at that point? I don't know. Uh, he obviously didn't tell the board. He obviously didn't tell Comcast or put an end to it. Uh, if, in fact, Shukin walks down the hall and tells his boss, then that's that's kind of where we are. What did Scott know? Uh, why didn't he do anything about it? But then there's also the issue of, all right, Larry Scott leaves. He's he's you know his contract's not renewed. Was it three years and like three two months later? January of 2021, did Shukin and Wilman just forget about this whole thing? Or why wouldn't they have told the board at that point when Scott had, Scott was out? Why didn't they tell someone in the new regime, whether it's the commissioner or anyone else? I don't, I don't know. Well, it's that's, possible. That's a question. Wonder, isn't it possible that that they believed, you know, if, the, if they did tell their boss, their, their, their report, if they said, hey, Commissioner Scott, we we got a problem here. We we commissioned this audit. Uh, we thought getting paid enough. We found out we probably got overpaid, or at least it looks like it. Like, uh, you know, I I would gather that Larry Scott would go. We need to look further into this. Like, you know, I don't know whether to trust this or not, but we need to look into this. But wouldn't if I'm Mark Shukin or I'm Brent Wilman thinking. Larry Scott probably told the board, like, I'm not in on those board meetings where the commissioner's there. If you're the CFO or you're the PAC 12 Network's president, like, they may have assumed that he did pass it on. I don't know. But I, I can only think of, you know, a couple of few reasons why Larry Scott wouldn't have shared the information with his bosses. One, he, he uh, for you know, they're amid pressure at the time to increase revenues. It wasn't Comcast asking the question at that point. It was their own audit that found this. It it disagreed with what they thought was going to happen. He may have just pushed it to the back burner. If you're if you're giving him the benefit of the doubt, he may have just said, "Well, I will deal with this down the road. I don't have I don't have the time, effort, and energy right now." Because keep in mind, it was that same year in 2018 when they said, "Hey, we're going to offer uh, for 500 million dollars a 10 percent equity stake in our media rights." Like they were busy trying to create a revenue stream, a new revenue stream, and dig themselves out of a hole, they weren't looking at to having to uh, adjust downward. And that's what this was going to cause them to do. So could have been that. Could have been it, it, that he just didn't trust the audit at all, and there, therefore he decided he had no duty to share the results with his bosses. It could have been that he was concerned about his contract extension. There's a lot going on. He's trying to increase revenue. He's trying to enhance the distributions to the members. Uh, you know, he's he's got this private equity thing going on. Um, you know, he, he may not have wanted to deal with it and thought, well, I'll just deal with it if Comcast ever brings it up. Um, I don't know. And that's why, Larry Scott, if you're listening to this podcast, give John Wilner a call. Give me a call. Let's talk about what you knew and when you knew it. And I and I it kind of ticks me off that the conference is left in this foggy position having to deal with this while they're trying to negotiate media rights. And my question for you, Wilner, is. Do you think this has caused a delay or major questions if the Pac-12 network is part of a potential sale in this cycle? How much is this weighing on that? 
I mean, it's possible that this has held things up on the with the network sale. If if Amazon or Apple are interested in buying the the networks, uh, you know, either buying technology infrastructure or leasing it uh, for their own production, or you know, the content that's bought on the networks, it's it's entirely possible that it has delayed things. I I don't know exactly. Uh, I know they were certainly waiting for the UCLA situation to get resolved, but but maybe this is adding to the to the delay. I don't know, uh, but it certainly is not great timing. I agree with you, and it gets back to I, I got a couple of thoughts about the Larry Scott situation too, but it gets back to again a constant theme: university presidents are ultimately responsible for this, as they are responsible for almost every single mess that happened during the Scott era, because they are the ones who hired him. They are the ones who let him become a media executive who, you know, allowed him to push the athletic directors to the back burner, not tap into all that institutional knowledge, run the conference the way he wanted to run it, spend money the way he wanted to spend it. That it is all on the presidents. Now, most of the ones who were there at the time are gone except for UCLA's Gene Block and Michael Crow at Arizona State, uh, two of the biggest enablers of Scott's uh, management style over the years. But it gets back to them, to the presidents not knowing or not caring, and the cost is a lot of damage financially and to the conference's reputation over the years. I I keep thinking about the hangover of Larry Scott in you know, George Klyovkov, we, we can we can talk about the fact that he probably should have been more tuned in to USC and UCLA being antsy. We can we can uh you know, I, I thought from the very USC beginning USC for sure. Yeah. I thought from the very beginning, um, I think you walk through the door and you go, Hey, I'm inheriting the the mess that Larry Scott has left behind and look at where the conference is standing. I don't think anybody from the outside could have quite grasped how bad the morale was and how bad the um, just the atmosphere around and the culture created around the conference headquarters and the networks was under Larry Scott. I think it would be very difficult for an outsider to grasp that. And I think you and I have talked to a lot of people over the years. And what I noticed in watching a lot of the executives and middle managers, especially in the conference, like, Aside from maybe like Gloria Navarez, who, you know, left as a deputy commissioner and went on to the, you know, to the WCC as a commissioner, I'm having a hard time finding people who used the Pac-12 as, as a stepping stone to greater places. Like, there's not a lot of that that happened on Larry Scott's watch, and it should have been. Like, he should have been feeding people into major con- other major conferences, better jobs, better roles, the NFL, the NBA, other places. The conference just wasn't doing that. And it, it, that's a big red flag. It is. It's like uh, coaching trees, right? And he certainly does not have a, a much of an administrative tree. There, There's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, he came in. It's like a coach taking over a football program that was really struggling, right? And you're trying to rebuild the culture. You're trying to rebuild your roster. And every every turn, something something goes wrong. It's like, oh boy, I didn't realize we have to, my first game is at Alabama, right? Or I didn't realize that our strength and conditioning program was rotten to the core and I got to deal with this also. You know, it has been uh, a ton of, a ton of uh, obstacles that have come up 
and they keep popping up and and you know he certainly never could have foreseen this i would imagine now we don't know exactly it seems like he didn't know anything about this until uh, october when comcast filed the claim that's that's kind of my assumption uh but it's certainly like a headache that he could never have envisioned what's the next step wilner where what happens now because the conference seems to be trying to get its head around uh, how much does it owe um, and how that will impact the media rights, a potential sale. My spider senses are telling me that the Pac-12 networks may be on the block and maybe Amazon or whoever is a bidder here is going to have to adjust downward based on you know some of this information, or at least they're going to have to do their own audit prior to closing that deal. But that's just uh, me spitballing at this point. What happens next? What's the next domino to fall in your mind? Well, no, I think that what's going to happen, I don't know that the Pac-12's really got much of a case here. I think that they there's a realization that they're going to have to pay or have $50 million withheld. So to me, uh, it's, it's basically figuring out with Comcast what is the actual number. And again, this is all... Based, sourced with Comcast, right? I, you know, a lot of folks say, "Oh, the Pac-12 network screwed up with accounting or whatever." They didn't screw up in that manner. I mean, they didn't respond the way they should have when they got the audit. But Comcast has proprietary subscriber data. They're paying the Pac-12 based on their own subscriber data that the Pac-12 doesn't have access to. So they're the ones who are going to decide. Basically, here's what. Here's the amount we overpaid you by. Now, is it going to be $50 million, which is what they filed the claim for? I don't know. It could be that they they aimed high on that, but we should probably assume it's $50 million bucks, and that's got to come out of you know Pac-12 revenue somehow. So if you do the math, that and USC and UCLA certainly will be on the hook for this, right? 12 schools over the next two fiscal years, which is the terms of the contract with Comcast. So it's basically you know $4 million. Four million bucks per school over the next next two years. I assume it's just going to get withheld from their withheld from their distributions. But to me, the next step is for the conference of the schools. It's knowing exactly how much money they're they're out, and then for the conference, maybe it's trying to dig a little deeper and see if what Larry Scott knew and if there's any way that you know they could hold him responsible financially. I keep thinking too, you know, because I see Shu can go out the door as the head of the network. Um, and you and I talked about this uh, before the podcast, like, you know, would they would they hire somebody? Is it the right time? The Pac-12 networks will need leadership. But I think that question is answered by whether or not the conference plans on owning the Pac-12 networks at the end of this, like when the dust settles, or are they selling it to Amazon or somebody somewhere else? I personally think they need to get out of the media company business. Like, you can't like, like they're not doing either one good. Like it was 2018. It was the same thing. It was, it was the Washington Utah Pac-12 championship football game at Levi's Stadium, and Larry Scott gets up on the podium and he justifies his salary and he justifies the expenses. I was sitting in the second row. You were in there as well, and he justifies it by saying, "Well, we're a media company in addition to a conference," and I almost fell out of my chair because you're not doing either one of these things well, and. You know, if you were a friend of the Pac-12, you go, look, you're trying to be too much to too many people. It was ambitious. It was a big swing. Um, you you guys have tripped and fallen all over yourselves with distribution. Yeah, it, it appears, though, you, you can't. You, you had some bad accounting as well. Uh, they need to get out of the media company business. They need to sell this thing, cash out, 
pay off what they owe and get back to trying to be a great conference. Do you think they will hire a network president in front of a potential media deal or do they wait and let media partners play a role in that? I don't think they're going to hire somebody to replace Shukin. No. Uh, and, and again, the current Pac-12 Network's construct with the Nas, you know, the seven linear television feeds, so to speak, the national feed and the six regionals, plus all of the digital stuff that is under contract with Comcast and everybody else until the summer of 2024. The same time the, the contracts with ESPN and Fox expire in the summer of 2024, the Pac-12 networks contracts expire. So the question is on July 1st of 2024, which is the first day of the next media deal what what is left i think that you know they're they're moving and we should get into this they're moving the pac-12 production studios uh across the bay to san ramon uh 42,000 square feet in an office park uh obviously they're not gonna move that whole thing uh just for 18 months or well, actually it's 12 months because i think the move starts this summer if they didn't think that there was going to be some use for Pac-12 Network's production, the technology and infrastructure, the people power. So the question to me is, are they going to remain in the con producing content, basically like streaming only for Olympic sports? Or is are they doing all this just to hand it over to, to Apple or Amazon? I felt all along like the end game for the presidents and chancellors, who I think need, desperately need a win now, is to either cash out and sell the whole thing to Amazon or become the print arm for Amazon. Amazon's doing Thursday night football in the NFL. They're doing MLB, but they don't have a production capability. Like this would be a, a big step for Amazon acquiring the Pac-12 networks and taking on their production arm. But um, I don't know, man. I, I just think it's so messy right now. It's distracting. It's clouding their path. It needs to be resolved. And... Uh, the sooner that George Klyovkov can get a media rights deal done now, I think the better for everybody. The longer the uncertainty sort of looms and swirls, I think the worse it is just for the brand of the conference. I don't think anybody yep. else is going to defect, but I just think it's a brand issue right now. And people are going, do they know what the hell they're doing? Uh, yeah, I mean, th this did happen on the previous commissioner's watch, so that that does kind of help. Uh, but I agree with you. I think I think he's got to get a media deal in uh done and in front of the presidents for approval by you know the end of february early march selection sunday i've kind of come up with as a as a rough uh deadline that's like march 12th or 14th if he doesn't have something done by then i think people are going to start to panic and they probably should because he, he needs to get it going get it done and show everybody he can land this plane i'm john canzano you can read me at johnconzano.com i'm with john wilner wilner how do they find you bay area news group is the mothership pac12hotline.com and we are available at media outlets across the conference. Okay, let's get back to one more thing about Larry Scott, because yeah. I just think the whole thing is fascinating, right? We know that he's, you know, Larry Scott was a lot about what was good for Larry Scott, right? So I have thought about this. The moment, let's say, for instance, Mark Shukin does walk down the hall and does he tell Larry Scott uh, about the about the overpayments? And I've thought about it from two two perspectives. Tell me what you think about this. It's a, getting a little bit of, uh, you know, putting him on the couch here. He hears about the overpayments. 
And he thinks, you know what? That's just more bad news for my baby, the Pac-12 networks. That's more criticism for me that is going to potentially hurt my chances to get a contract extension with the with the presidents. They're not going to be happy. Let's not say a word about this to anybody because my image is at stake here. Or could you make the case that if he had been told that he would have done something about it, for the exact same reason, because his image was so important to him and he would never have let something that could potentially damage the networks and damage his reputation in the industry. He would never let that happen because he was so, in fact, so concerned about his own image. That's the case for him not knowing, right, is uh, that if he did know, he would have done something because he's more concerned about his own image than anything else. And he would want to protect his image long term in the industry. So I don't know what what the answer is, but I, I just have found that to be a kind of a fascinating little thought experiment. I, I think, you, you know, it, for me to put myself into the shoes of Larry Scott, let me take a let me put a sweater around my neck and tie it. And let me you know put a tennis racket next <laughs> to me and pretend that I went to an Ivy League school. OK, let me get in that frame of mind here. Um, uh, look, this is a guy who thought of himself. First, when I talked to staff members over the years, low-level staff members, people he worked elbow to elbow with, um, the prevailing thought on Larry Scott is that Larry only thought about Larry. I heard that over and over and over again. When extra Rose Bowl tickets were given to the conference, he didn't distribute those tickets to his staff members who had worked hard and uh, you know made a low wage by by uh, ind- by industry standards and lived in the Bay Area, paid. Ex- exorbitant rent and he didn't do that he didn't reward the people that helped prop him up he instead went to you know the his neighbors and his friends and he gave the tickets to them when he uh you know had a major announcement and everybody thought it was oh we're gonna be on direct tv there's been a breakthrough no 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 no. it was larry announcing that he got a contract extension this guy's tone deaf wilner he only thinks of himself and i don't think he really cared that much what other people thought of him he thought of himself first so i look if he knew about it i my get my bet would be if he knew about it he didn't bring it public because it was going to make him look bad and i can deal with this later we can figure it out later um you know uh we can we you know comcast hasn't even raised a flag about it i'm trying to get private equity investors to put $500 $500 million into this company right now. Uh, I need the financials to adjust upward, not downward. And so my bet would be if Larry Scott knew about this, the the it, this was not going to benefit Larry Scott for this to be public and, and to tell his bosses. His bosses were already contemplating in 2018 whether they should renew him and extend him. And, you know, uh, the heat was on with Larry Scott. It was a, It was an interesting time in the conference. I did that four-part series on him in 2018. Um, You know, a lot came to light. You were all over it. People were beginning to see that Larry Scott was out for Larry Scott. And, you know, he'd done very well for himself. And he may have been the right commissioner hire back in the day when they made that original deal with ESPN. But uh, very quickly, I think people worked with who watched him operate and, and sort of flit around the conference on his private jet and you know, stay, uh, you know, stay in upscale places and 
Everybody else was living two and three to an apartment in downtown San Francisco. That act got old. And I think those people uh, probably jumped to the same conclusion that I am right now, that if he, if Larry Scott knew about the overpayments, it wasn't in Larry Scott's best interest to talk about this publicly, and it wasn't in his best interest to tell his bosses. And so I'll bet he was planning to deal with it later. And But here's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. If you're Larry Scott and you're Woody Dixon, you're not stupid. These aren't stupid people. Like, they, ha- the fact that they didn't think that this would eventually come out is really puzzling to me. And, you know, maybe there was just arrogance in there. Maybe they just said, well, you know, it can't possibly be right. So we're not, we'll deal with it later. I, but Larry Scott was about Larry Scott. And I don't blame anybody who thinks that if he knew, uh, he didn't bring this to his bosses because it wasn't going to make Larry Scott look good. Well, and that's a, another issue is how did Comcast find out? Like what prompted Comcast to do whatever, I assume they did an internal audit or they hired somebody and they found out about this overpayment that had been going on for 10 years, right? We should assume it happened since they, they filed the claim in October with the PAC-12. So I assume that the audit would have been done, you know, sometimes at, maybe after they closed their books, June 30th, sometime over the summer. Did somebody who doesn't like Larry Scott or the PAC-12 tip them off? Uh, did they do the audit because uh, they were, you know, they knew the Pac-12 networks, the media rights negotiations were starting up in July and August, and the Pac-12 networks were going to be involved, and maybe they wanted to, to, to see how much, you know, some kind of valuation, sub- subscriptions, so they were could participate in some kind of Pac-12 networks negotiations. I don't know. Uh, did they do it because Dish, you know, J- Dish has sued the the networks? Um, do they do it for that? I don't know. Uh, or do they do it because of that? It's it's real interesting uh, to think about what sparked this whole thing after being lying low in the Comcast side for 10 years. Yeah. And, and look, for people who know Comcast, and I did talk to some industry people who are familiar with Comcast, cable companies will frequently do audits to make sure that the networks are charging them based on the right number of subscribers. Comcast is really good at this. Uh, this is what they do. I mean, this is their livelihood, and I do trust their numbers. It may be that in the course of maybe preparing the networks for sale or maybe just, uh, you know, somebody else on the other side doing their diligence with Comcast and others stumbled upon the fact that, hey, something's not quite right here with what you're paying. And and then, oh, oh, by the way, uh, the Pac-12 knew uh, and, and had an audit. And in fact, did its own audit got the results, and then didn't do anything about it back in 2017. Yeah. So it's just yeah. really weird. And actually, I should say, I, I said it wrong. Pac-12 Networks has actually sued DISH because DISH basically stopped making payments, claiming be, you know, uh, breach of contract issues uh, with content that, that I th- think was the COVID season. And this all happened – in October, right when Comcast just delivers the the claim of the fifty million dollars, so I just don't know if there's somehow some kind of connection between what Comcast saw going on with the Pac-12 networks and Dish and Comcast doing their own uh, their own audit. But it's in, it's interesting timing for all of it. Wilner, um, college basketball season. Before we end this podcast, just want to talk a little bit about it. I I went to Tempe last week 
went to check in on Arizona State, saw them play UCLA on Thursday night, uh, watched Bobby Hurley and uh, the Sun Devils, uh, you know, the amazing atmosphere, by the way, at their home arena on Thursday. Uh, you know, 14,000 people, more than 5,000. since It was it was a real atmosphere. I got to give Arizona State credit. But they lose that game. They lose to USC. The thing I ended up writing about uh, at johnconzano.com was the FS1 broadcast team. We know this was a problem during football season. The FS1 uh, and Fox in general has gone to remote broadcasting on some of their FS1 uh, broadcasts. Uh, they are committed to it. They've invested in it. It saves them some travel expense, but it, more importantly, it, it allows them to have fewer bodies. Uh, they can have a football broadcaster do a game on Thursday, a game on Friday, and two games on Saturday. Same person calling all four games. Doesn't have to travel. Doesn't have to miss anything. Um, the Pac-12 does not like this. Uh, I thought it was really sad that FS1 did not have uh, in-person broadcasters at that UCLA-Arizona State game on on Thursday. They did not have them earlier in the season when Arizona and Arizona State played in the Terriel to tour cup game or uh, and uh i think it's a really bad trend like if i'm there fs1 should have been there too yeah but isn't it a lot like other results of the pandemic you realize you can you know work from home and do everything on zoom and the media companies are realizing that too uh it is it is definitely unfortunate because you you certainly don't get the same vibe from the broadcasters when they're not there that you would when they're there but What's what's Fox's incentive at this point to not do it? Right, they're saving money uh, unless it's hurting their ratings. Uh, my guess is it isn't. They're gonna they're gonna keep doing it, and it'll be interesting to see if that is part at all of the Pac-12's media negotiations with Fox uh, for the for the next contract. Whether the, you know the Pac-12 doesn't don't want to have anything to do with Fox. Whether this is a sign from Fox that we're not going to have anything to do with the Pac-12, I don't know. But uh, I, I just don't see how it's going to stop unless unless they get hit with the ratings. It's not going to stop. Uh, you know, look pa- to you know. I just want to point something out. Pac-12 Networks has in-person broadcast crews for all basketball and all football games. FS1 does not, and you know they're not the only one doing it. ESPN for some other sports and some broadcasts has gone remote. Everybody figured out in the pandemic you could get away with some things, but. The guy who's at the center of it for Fox is Brad Zager. He is the executive there that uh, has gone all in. He's president of operations now. Um, he has a ton of experience in event production. He came up as a producer in the trucks, on site. He knows the business in that way. So um, the crews that are working the games and the broadcast teams love this guy. And they're all behind him. They understand what he's trying to do. But he pushed for a massive investment in remote production technology. They bought a dozen new production trucks for football and basketball. They built brand new studios in Los Angeles that are designed specifically for remote broadcasting. They've gone all in on the on the technology. The investment is in the technology. So I think in some respects, they are trying to justify the expense by doing some of this. But what they don't understand is what they're losing. And... I don't know. Maybe they're right and I'm wrong. Maybe people watching at home can't tell. But I I can tell when the broadcast team isn't there, something's lost. And this isn't like 1940 and you and I on a ticker tape and hitting two pieces of wood together like it's the crack of the bat and pretending to do a radio broadcast. This is television. And I get that it's a business, but the fact that for that Arizona State-UCLA game on Thursday night, 
One of the broadcasters was in L.A. at the Fox Studios. The other, I now know, the play-by-play broadcaster, was at his house in Seattle. They're calling the game. I'm in the arena, and there's two empty seats. The only two seats that were empty in the house should have been filled by FS1's crew. I think, you know, Pac-12 tells me they've complained at the highest levels. They're getting nowhere with it. I, I do think it will be a point of contention in the next agreement that they will say, hey, look, for men's basketball, women's basketball, and football, if you're broadcasting the event, you have to be on site. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how Fox responds because that's a little bit, in some ways, that's like, well, that's not your business. You know, we, if you're going to do an agreement for us to broadcast your your content, we're going to decide how to how to handle the production end, right? I mean, that'll be real interesting to see how if it if it comes to that, how Fox responds because that's a little bit like, you know, Fox telling the Pac-12, you know, this is how you need to to handle your business internally, and Pac-12 would say, well, that, that's not that's not for you to say. So I don't know, but I, I thought you did a great job uh, outlining that. As part of uh, what what it sounds like you're going to be doing a series, a uh, hoop series, huh? I, yeah, I'm doing a series on basketball. I mean, th- that was part one. I looked at the broadcast, but the bigger picture of what's happening within this conference when it comes to basketball and what this conference can do better to matter in basketball. I mean, uh, it's on my mind, and you know, I'm looking around, going, this 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 could be a two bid conference for the NCAA tournament. It could just be. UCLA and Arizona making the field. I think Arizona State and Bobby Hurley, they're 15 and 5. They are, uh, I think they're waxing a little bit. I think they've got a chance to make some noise in the Pac 12 tournament. And I got to see USC up close on the Saturday game, and uh, USC looks good. They are all business. They are just very business like, very little uh, trash talk, very little emotion on the court. They almost look robot-like in the way that they dismantled Arizona State on on the Saturday game. So I, I think those two teams, and then you look at Utah, Utah's had some moments. If Utah can put it together, and then you have Oregon and Dana Altman, always dangerous in Vegas in the Pac-12 tournament. But if it's not Oregon or Utah or Arizona State or USC winning that automatic bid in the conference tournament, this might be a two-bid big league for the NCAA tournament, Wilner. Yeah, it was a two-bid league like 2010, 2011, right in there. It was just – and you didn't think it could ever get any worse. But it was – this whole situation was set in motion in November and December because the non-conference results are what frame the net rankings, and the net rankings are basically what frame your your tournament chances. And if you are winning – non-conference games at like a 61, 62% clip, like the Pac-12 was, you know, six out of every 10 non-conference games you're winning, that's bad. And that's going to send you down this path where you're a two or three bid league. You know, ACC, Big Big 12, Big 10, SEC, they're all winning non-conference games 75, 80%. And there, here's the Pac-12 winning six out of every 10. And that, you know, that's where this season was. If it ends up being two or three bids, that's where the season was lost, was November and December. Not enough teams, uh, too many bad losses, not enough good wins, too many rosters just not ready to play. Wilner, I love doing this podcast with you. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, you can uh, give us uh, a, a fist bump by subscribing to the podcast, and you can share it with your friends, family members, others who may be interested in whatever you heard here. 
Uh, appreciate that you're here for it. We're going to be back next week. We've got some big guests on the horizon. I know we keep teasing that, but we're not uh, we're not Jimmy Jacking around. We've got some uh, big time guests coming down the pipeline. Wilner, uh, I'll let you close out the podcast. Any parting thoughts? Well, we'll be back next week, and who knows what the next six or seven days will bring, right? I mean, this time uh, last week, whenever we did the podcast last week, I was not expecting uh, two executives to be fired and a $50 million bill to be hanging over the conference. So who the heck knows what's going to happen in the next six or seven days, right? Yep. Uh, Pay attention. Stay locked in. We'll have you covered. Stay locked in. He is the great John Canzano at johncanzano.com. I am John Wilner. Bay Area News Group, Pac-12Hotline.com, and thanks, everybody, for listening.